Good evening. My name is Asif. Uh, I'm a tech biz dev manager for containers, and, and I'm a hobby coder at night these days. <laughs> but the idea behind this session is to talk about machine learning and how do we deploy machine learning applications on containers. Uh, this is a blog. Of, the first part of the session would be a, a blog that, that I built, and we, we published this last year in January about how do you do this. I've also got with me uh, Hokuto and Yoshiro from Cookpad, who's going to talk about how do they use machine learning to power Cookpad on containers. So thank you for coming in so late. Uh, 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 it really shows that you care, care about the topic, so that's awesome. So let's get started. What we're going to cover in the next 45 minutes and then open up for Q&A is what is deep learning? Why should we care about deep learning? Uh, when we say deep learning, it's a pretty loaded term. Um, scientists, uh, data scientists train the models, but how do we apply this? And where is machine learning today in our lives? And then we'll look at a reference architecture of how do you deploy deep learning functions on Amazon ECS and what ECS does. And then we'll go deep into the cookpad usage. So let's get started. Uh, machine learning has been in our life in different formats for the last um, couple of decades, maybe or more. Like the term machine learning was coined probably in the 50s, uh, the first time it was coined. But the idea is we have all learned math in school. We've done linear regression, logistic regression, and those, were, those need compute to run. As the cloud evolved in the last 10 years, it made very easy, uh, very easy to run compute cycles. So when you run deep learning functions uh, on the artificial intelligence uh, side of the house, you need compute power because you're running n number of cycles and n is a very large number. Deep learning is, 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 a, is a branch of artificial intelligence and it has four broad categories. The first being image recognition. So when we walk in into a JetBlue kiosk and I can check in with my face. And how many of us have actually seen it or checked in with our face at JetBlue kiosk? OK, nobody? Cool. But, but when you go, <laughs> it's OK. That's always a good question. So it's, it's fascinating that you, you, you can walk up to a kiosk and stand there and it knows you and it checks you and, and prints a boarding pass for you. Uh, similarly, uh, let me ask a simpler question. How many of us go through clear at airports? Some? Good. <laughs> I go through clear. It's super easy because I, they have my biometric identity and I can go through. Uh, and that's, the clear is a different biometric identification, but uh, JetBlue is more of a machine learning part. Then we have natural language processing, which is basically speech to text, text to speech. When you look at Alexa, uh, when your home assistant's at home, you can talk to them. I can send a text to my son from a plane or from like an airport, and Alexa or the Echo transcribes it and reads it back to my son, which is an amazing experience I have because my life or my interaction with my son has elevated miles away where I have a busy lifestyle, so I could communicate in a different fashion. And the, and the other classification is autonomous car, autonomy. 
uh, autonomous robots, autonomous driving, and things like that. So that's primarily where deep learning is today, and many more algorithms are getting made. So I give you a couple of examples why machine learning is important, or why deep learning, where is deep learning? Let's look at a couple more. So when you, or when we are shopping on websites for clothing, there's machine learning or deep learning being used to give us better options to identify our needs so that we don't waste cycles browsing through catalogs and finding random items. That's one thing. Amazon Go is another novel concept where it's a cashless grocery shop where you can actually go in, pick up your item, and walk out without a queue, and you get a bill on your Amazon app. That is user experience. And when, uh, when and I've tried this with at ghost shops is you pick up stuff, you pick down stuff, and amazingly, the bill that I get is always correct. And that's a lot of deep learning being used behind the scene. But building deep learning apps is still an art. And when I say art, I mean there's a lot of uh, magic that you need to build or invent. We want, with this talk and the blogs we published and what we are doing in the AI and the container space, it has to become a science. It has to become repeatable. And everybody should be able to deploy machine learning algorithms into their apps. So when I go to Zillow, for example, as an example, I look at the home estimate. As a user, I want to look at the home estimate. I don't want to look at the details. I want that clean experience. But I also want the home estimate to be correct or within an error margin. So when you look at that, there's a bunch of scientists at the back end who are developing data models, data crunching, to make sure that predictions are correct and, and, and give us those models that could be used. So that's the line, the horizontal line, the diagonal line uh, below that, that the machine learning data scientists sit there and they crunch numbers and do, they do fabulous mathematic pieces and they come up with algorithms. But for an end user like me to have find the estimate of a home, for example, it's super important for me the experience is clean, this experience is seamless. So there's a team sitting there, which is DevOps, which is tasked with taking these data models, applications, and moving into production. There's another set of developers, which is app developers, mobile front-end developers, back-end developers. And they worry about, how do I give the best experience to my customer? How do I scale this application? How, how, when I have a spike from zero to 10 million requests on that API, that API doesn't fall down. Those are very valid concerns, and you need to give that experience back to your end user for him to stay with, with things, these things. With that, let's go into how would you build such a solution that is working in harmony, using really advanced, complex algorithms giving you great predictive results, but at the same time having an experience which is seamless and which can be deployed very rapidly. So with Amazon AI portfolio of services, you get multiple layers of uh, 
services. If I'm developing a machine learning application, and if I have the promise, I might go in the engine level and write code in TensorFlow, build my own model, or MXNet, and things like that. But if I want to use something more abstracted at a platform level, I could go use Amazon EMR, Spark ML, Spark, and things like that. That is for me if I want to go really deep and build stuff. But there are tons of use cases where the abstraction has to be an API call. I don't want to build that model. It's an image recognition problem. And Amazon recognition has a vast data set trained. And if I try to build it, it will take me time. I'll get there, but it'll take me time. So I could use an API like Amazon recognition and go with eight different type of uh, image classifications I get. I can even read text now. Like recently, Amazon recognition announced that you can read text like license plates and things like that. Imagine the use cases it enables from just that text, text reading. The other primitive that I need to build my service is a container. Deploying one container is super easy. Docker did that. You can say Docker run on your laptop, and it works. But imagine deploying thousands of containers on thousands of nodes. So you're deploying M, M containers on n nodes. And you're trying to solve now an O of n squared problem, which is a really hard problem to solve, which is called cluster management. So at Amazon, we built Amazon Elastic Container Service, which basically is a cluster management engine where we know or we keep track of the state of your containers, what container is deployed where, uh, what are the configurations for it, what are, the, what are the parameters? How should it scale? All of that we, we put in the cluster management engine. We have an API that you can access this via. And we also have an agent communication service, which talks to the instances or the nodes where the agent containers are deployed. So the ECS agent, every instance that you launch has an ECS agent, which is my communication channel back to the cluster management service. I group a bunch of containers and call it a task. Uh, a task is a logical unit, which very roughly could translate to an app or a service. And I can scale it horizontally and say, I want to run 100 copies of this app, and it just does it for me. I can front this with a load balancer. So if I have a spike, I need a shock absorber. I need to be able to take that 1 million requests per second and distribute it down to the containers and service those requests. So the load balancer gives you that. And it's a fully managed service that you do not have to do the cluster management. Uh, you just launch the cluster, and it works. Uh, one of the things that I always uh, talk to developers about and have, we have a conversation is, this is not an easy problem. And as a developer, I don't care. Only when the development platform does not break. Ask yourself, and how many of us have been in that situation in our development lives when the platform breaks? That's a whole different emotion that we go through and, and what we come out with. But that's what Amazon ECS is built for, operational efficiency, deep integrations into the platform, security, logging, monitoring, all of that, all the goodness of the AWS platform that you are used to. <clears throat> 
So I talked about the AI engineer or the data scientist, what he uses. I talked about the, the DevOps and the application development part of it. But what about building a pipeline which releases super fast? If I have a new model, which I train tonight, I want that model to be consumed tomorrow morning or maybe during the night to give me better predictions, kind of a continuous uh, predictive model. And for that, we have a set of tools uh, we call as developer tools, like CodeCommit is a managed private Git repository. Uh, CodePipeline is our pipeline tool, and CodeBuild is a managed build environment, and CodeDeploy automates deployments. You can take this primitives and build your very custom or specific developer workflow. But let's say you're getting started or you want a templatized approach. You can go CodeStar, and you can say, this is my app, do this for me, and it just does it. So enough of products and primitives that we needed to understand by when we get it into, into, the, into how we are building this. So let's get into, into how to do this. So I'm a data scientist. I'm working on amazing algorithms. I have a large data set. I'm crunching. And I live on an EC2 instance, and I live in the Jupyter Notebook, which is pretty popular as a, as a data science tool. I train my model continuously, and I run those model, models. And Amazon has open so or published armies that you can just click, and it comes up with a Jupyter notebook, so you don't have to install it. But that's where I live. And I might be uploading my models, which is basically the, the templates that get generated, into Amazon S3, which is a durable, scalable, data store, because I want my models not to get lost or not to get uh, deleted and things like that. As an application developer, my life is I want to write code on my laptop, on, 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 uh, on my local environment, and push this code to a code repository. Package it, push it, write the Docker file, and push it. That's where, like, that's nirvana for me. And magically, the app should use it. I also have a mobile client, so I have mobile developers who, who needs to use it. But to make this all real, I need a container management solution, a platform that scales that I can deploy my applications to, the compute where I can run. So what you see on this uh, uh, box that came out, Amazon ECS clusters are provisioned. When you say create cluster, you can provision those clusters, put them in auto scaling. You can have different type of instances, on-demand instances, spot instances. Uh, you can front it with an application load balancer, which I talked about, which is a shock absorber kind of a deal. And you can put a DNS in front, which gives you a friendly name. And I also have a private image repository that I can use to store my Docker images. I don't want my images to be stored on a public repo. I want them to be controlled in a secure environment. I also want to log all my metrics and logs into CloudWatch, because monitoring and logging is super important for me. Now, all of this, you can go through the first-run experience and create this as you go, or download a CloudFormation template from GitHub. We have open-sourced a bunch of projects, and deploy this. There's also a the DevOps part, the ops part of this, which basically is worried about creating the cluster, which we went into details about, 
but also building a fast release cycle, which is how do I build my pipeline so my developers can push code and it gets deployed by the second or the minute, build it in a scalable way so that I'm not running uh, build servers on my side and spending money for idle time. So if I've done this right, what I do is I, I upload my model into Amazon S3. On the app side, I write a Docker file, which I kind of extend from MXNet, and I do my own Python app that I can inject in and basically say uh, Docker copy, run, and entry point SH and things, and I up build that image on a, on, a, on a build server like CodeBuild, and I push that image into a repository like Amazon ECR. That's the, that's the happy path of the workflow. The CloudFormation provisioned my cluster, my application developer pushed his code, and my DevOps has built a pipeline where, which gets triggered. Every time code is committed, a pipeline is triggered, and the pipeline does build, and from the build environment, I can push code to Amazon ECR. One of the things I love about CodeBuild as a developer is I can script things into it. I can have a pre-command, a build, command, build stage, and a post-build stage. And what I can do is I can call other APIs. I can call an image scanning uh, API. In this case, I'm calling an ECS API, an ECR API, which is Docker push, right from my build script. So what does this look at the end of the day? So on the mobile developer side, I'm calling an API. That's all I'm calling. I'm calling myproduct.com slash predict. And what I get, what I'm trying to do here is I'm trying to predict what is this picture that this guy is taking or is standing in front of and so that I can give him valuable deals or maybe give some facts around it. And I've used my machine learning algorithm to predict with, uh, see, like in this case, around 11% probability that it's the suspension bridge. That's valuable information to know from a mobile app experience that I'm near the Golden Gate Bridge, and then you can build many experiences around it. So that's the happy path. I've uploaded my model. My model is getting consumed my code. What if, let's talk about, tonight I ran a new prediction algorithm or training algorithm, and I have a new model. That model gets uploaded to S3, and the change is, Literally, let me go back, is your code reading the new model from S3. MXNet has APIs for S3, and you can go TensorFlow and other things. You, for your code can read the new model. And if you have a new application perspective, you can go through the same pipeline and trigger it and build, a, deploy that on ECR in a rolling fashion, like one, two, three, four, and all your applications are, are, or containers scale with the same image. So you've made it a repeatable process to deploy AI-enabled applications. And I also believe that today a big barrier of communication is the language. A data scientist speaks a different language than a DevOps engineer versus an app developer. We could use S3 as that communication model or the communication uh, hub where I can read the model and let my code do the translation for me. 
I read a new model using MXNet API, it understands the model, and it moves on. You still need to talk to the data scientist, you still need to talk to DevOps engineer, people have to collaborate to make it happen, but your code can interpret models and the pipeline in a much more efficient manner, and what you end up with is this fast, efficient life cycle of your AI-enabled application on containers that you can release by the hour, if possible, or even, even shorter. Uh, I talked, and when I push this new code, let me go back, when I push this new model and I've changed my code, and I want to update the service, I want to say, okay, I've written uh, a new feature, released a new feature which uses this new model, all I do is call the update service API on ECS. What it does is it takes the new image that was formed or built and it deploys it on all the containers. And it scales it to the number of tasks that you wanted and based on your spike of your traffic as you go. Now, going back five years from now, uh, before this, all this was really black magic to me personally. But today, machine learning is a part of our lives. Deep learning is a part of our lives. And I am an optimist. I believe deep learning will make our lives better as we go and will help us do those things that we wanted to do because we have spare brain cycles that we can spend on them. And I, I've discussed this at length with many of, many of my uh, friends. I would like to invite you to give it a spin. This is a blog which is published. A bunch of customers have used it. Uh, uh, there's a QR code which makes it a little easier to go there. But, and this reference in the blog, you will also find a reference architecture. The whole code is open sourced. The CloudFormation template, the app, and all of it. Give it a spin, launch it in your AWS account, and uh, see if you can build AI-based AI applications and put AI into the applications you have. With that, I would like to invite Hokuto from Cookpad to talk about what did Cookpad do for machine learning uh, on containers. So I'll switch over to Hokuto. Thank you, Asif. <coughs> Hello. Hello. Uh, thanks for coming to our session. My name is Hokuto Hoshi. Uh, I'm the head of the uh, infrastructure at Cookpad and responsible for site reliability engineering. Today, uh, we are going to sh uh, share the story of uh, how we built the containerized uh, machine learning workload on AWS. How many of you know Cookpad? Hmm? Okay, yeah. First, uh, let me introduce our company. <clears throat> Do you like cooking? Do you like cooking? <laughs> Cookfat is an online recipe sharing and search service. Uh, we are based in Japan and were founded in 1998. Since uh, 1998, uh, Cookfat has been providing uh, online recipe sharing and search services. Our corporate mission is make everyday cooking fun, and uh, our services currently hosts over 2.7 million user-generated recipes and uh, with about 60 million users in Japan uh, visiting Earth each month. It is the largest online recipe sharing and search service in Japan. And we are global. 
We are operating in 67 countries and support 21 languages. For the United States, you can access our service at cookpad.com US. We have offices in Japan and UK and Spain, Indonesia, and so on. We have about 150 developers to host the services with nine SREs and nine machine learning engineers to support. We have been learning uh, all systems on AWS since 2011. We are using ECS for our service and we run over 200 ECS services. Now, uh, let us explain cooking log in Japanese Ryori Kiroku, which is uh, our first deep learning product feature. Have you taken photos when you cook? Some people yeah, take uh, photos of what they cook and eat uh, to record and look back on the memories. Uh, that is to monitor their dietary habit or uh, to share them with family and friends and communities. However, sometimes uh, it is troublesome to find such full photos from your smartphone camera roll uh, manually. In order to make that process easier, we developed cooking log, which automatically finds food photos from your camera roll. It is powered by convolutional neural network, which is one of their logics for machine learning. So uh, let's watch a demo video of this feature. This is a video of um, Android smartphone. As we can see, uh, there are many kinds of photos uh, in the camera roll. And there are some food photos. Uh, however, uh, there are also other kinds uh, of photos like um, aquarium and uh, flower and uh, scenery and so on. Yeah. Like this, yeah. Uh, this is uh, Nimono, which is one of my favorite Japanese foods. People who want to keep a record of their dishes launch the CookFat app and select the cooking log. So, <coughs> loading photos from camera roll. Yeah. As we just saw, the food photos were automatically uploaded and archived. This is a uh, feature. This feature is now used by many users. Today, uh, over 140,000 users have stored over 12 million food photos. Let me introduce this feature from the technical side. It is our first feature that, uh, that is using deep learning. So uh, there were some challenges. It was the first time for us to run a semi-real-time image classification with production and that workload was different from common web applications. What we especially needed in developing such features was the scalable infrastructure for new workloads and our isolated environment for new challenges. We built it using AWS and containers. I will explain what scalable infrastructure is first. We needed a scalable infrastructure that enabled massive photo uploading uh, and semi-real-time image classification. 
because clients send a lot of tiny thumbnails every time they take photos. This traffic is difficult to predict. There is also the possibility that uh, traffic could spike uh, when this feature was introduced on television. For better user experience, uh, we have to keep this feature at a constant performance at all times. So uh, we choose an um, asynchronous architecture. Uploading and classification takes a few milliseconds or longer, and it sometimes blocks our application processing that was written by Ruby on Rails. We decided to use the pre-signed URL of Amazon S3 and upload the image directly from the client to S3. Also, uh, we enabled uh, S3 notification. It has requests of classification for uploaded thumbnails to SQSQ. In order to carry out deep learning in production, Isolation of the environment was also necessary. Image classification, uh, uh, sorry, image classification software was written using a different language than we used, and it has a different workload from web application. Finally, in many cases, software for deep learning demands GPUs. This is a clearly different point from the web application that we have developed in the past. So we decided to create such an environment in a container. Containers can isolate a new language environment and GPU driver and various settings. We run uh, this container on ECS with G2 extra large instances. In addition, Amazon ECS provides a managed and scalable Docker environment, which makes it easy to scale. Also, we had already run a lot of containers on ECS. Let me introduce the architecture of this feature using figures. At first, uh, the client requests our API server to issue a pre-signed URL of S3. The API generates and returns it to the client. Next, the client uploads a very small thumbnails to the S3 bucket. As I mentioned earlier, uh, we enabled S3 notification. So the S3 enqueues the event to SQS when the image upload is completed. The image classification that is running on ECS decues the event from SQS and downloads the thumbnail and classifies it. After that, results of classification are sent to the API server. The API server removes, removes uh, images that is uh, not classified as food. This is my architecture. With direct upload to S3 and using SQS, we could build a scalable architecture without preparing an image upload server. Even if a amount of uploaded images increases, the image classification that is running on ECS scales out quickly uh, depending on the queue length of SQS. The API server only needs to issue the pre-signed URL of S3 at first, and then wait for classification results from uh, ECS. 
So uh, what is happening in the container? I will hand it off to Yuichiro, and he will explain the image classification in detail. Is my Mac on? Cool. Uh, thanks, Hakuto. Uh, hey, I, I'm going to take over the session, and then I'll talk about uh, a bit more detail about what is happening inside the container. Well, I'm Yuichiro. Yeah, I'm so excited to be here uh, on stage. I bought a new jacket for today. <laughs> and then, uh, I'm, I, I've been working for Cookpad for one and a half year. And uh, I, I'm working as an engineer in research and the, uh, our research and development division, uh, which means that my specialty is that uh, I'm, I'm in charge of making sure that our researchers can access our data or GPU. Uh, computational environments easily and fast, uh, concentrated on their creativities. Uh, this is, yeah, anyways. Uh, first, I'm going to explain what that, uh, the actual task in the ECS cluster, uh, ECS container, uh, is actually doing uh, from the aspect of containerization of machine learning. Well, uh, as Hokuto explained before, uh, the task, uh, the, the, the things task doing is that task first gets the image from the S3, and also task will uh, they cure the, the, the uh, message from the SQS. And also to get, uh, sorry, the, uh, the, the task first uh, download the classifier, yeah, the model from the S3, and they set it up, and the task also the, they queue the message from the SQS and download the image from the S3. Yeah, that's, that's right. And the, the task next uh, doing the, the actual image classification and send the result back to the API server. That's it. So uh, what we need to develop is uh, are basically two things uh, to make the whole system work, uh, which is the classifier of course, and the, the, the Docker image, uh, which actually doing the, 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 the procedure I explained. Uh, and uh, maybe as uh, Asif explained, the class, classifier could be a set of large files, so it's it better to store it in S3, which is a scalable, durable, uh, capable of handling the large files. Um, yeah. And developers or researchers build their uh, model, train it, and uh, save it uh, to, the, to the SC. That's the first thing to do. And the developer also uh, needs to, 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 to implement the task itself. Uh, yeah. And, and also, uh, when we use the ECS, uh, we need a task definition, of course. For the task, uh, ECS task definitions, uh, we like to 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 uh, uh, we we like to, to 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 make it easy to manage, or easy to write also, uh, so that the, each developer can write it uh, for for their own applications, uh, and with that communicating with the authority, SRE team, for example, uh, there is an open source Ruby library called Hako, H A K O. Uh, which is developed by uh, one of our engineers. 
and we are utilizing it to, 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 to write the task definition down by YAML format file and manage it, it on the version control systems. Yeah, on the right, right hand side, we, you, you can see the one example of the Haggle uh, task definition file for ECS. Yeah, and uh, I'm going to explain the reason why we don't directly call the ECS API, but instead we use Haggle and uh, they call the ECS API in directory. Uh, first of all, we needed to perform uh, higher level operations on, on the ECS, like deploy the new version of application or rollback it. And uh, according to the, the uh, for example, the git commit hash or revision or uh, whatever you want to refer when you, uh, uh, when you decide which version to deploy or rollback. And we also have uh, a common or repetitive uh, common, uh, common and repeatedly operations like uh, injecting sec uh, security uh, environment variables or, uh, or maybe the registering the service to our own local uh, DNS. Or uh, we, we may use another proxy container. We, we may need another proxy container for logging. Uh, those kind of the common and uh, repetitive operation, operation is is it is frequently appears right and uh, yeah i think it, it's it's also uh i think in, in most cases uh, each company or each team has this kind of you know operations set of operations we need to perform every time uh deploy a new version of the application yeah things like that So for these reasons, uh, we use Hackle's functionality to perform uh, deploying and rollback operations, and also um, making use of uh, its pluggable script architecture, uh, where we can trigger and arbitrary operations before or after deployment. And uh, as a result, uh, our process of deploying a new application or a new version is, uh, is very easy, so that each developer can, can, can do it, with it without much communication with infra team. Now, uh, we have a task implementation, and it's a uh, Docker image and a task definition file all set up. And now, I'm going to be a little bit more detailed about, uh, uh, about the task itself. Uh, since those uh, GPU accelerated instances had much higher throughput of image classification uh, compared to the other CPU instances in a, in a, in a similar price ranges. Uh, so that, that's the reason we decided to use the GPU accelerated instances for this workload. I'm, I'm talking about the inferences and in on production application. And uh, we would uh, we will show you some uh, tips or practices from our experiences uh, running GP workers on ECS for a while. Well, now first of all, uh, to run GPU workers on ECS, uh, we first need to, to configure the dedicated AMI for a cluster uh, because uh, NVIDIA driver of a GPU consists of uh, uh, user libraries such as uh, shared object or kind of modules. Uh, which needed to be installed to the cluster, not in the container. Yeah. 
And uh, uh, because both kernel module and the user library are tightly bound, I mean, talking about the NVIDIA's driver, uh, is tightly bound in their version. Uh, so it is better to install both kernel module and the user libraries uh, together to the cluster and not separately, uh, I mean, together to the clusters. Uh, this is, uh, yes. Uh, on, the, on the other hand, the things like a CUDA toolkit uh, can be placed on the task. There's a kind of practice. Uh, since it could be, you know, uh, CUDA toolkit, things like that could be changed in, in the version uh, depending on the task. So that's, that's better to store in the, in, in the container, installed in the container. Yeah. This practice is, is, is well explained in NVIDIA's NVIDIA Docker documentation. Yeah, you can check that. And, and at last, uh, in ECS, when we're using the container with the GPU, we need to, 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 to set a privileged flag that would open the, 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 the privileged access to the GPU device. Right, and uh, we, need, we need to set that flag. And uh, actually, that was a situation at the time we ha we, we first uh, we, we first released this application. Now we have uh, more detailed options like Linux parameters, uh, uh, Linux parameters devices options. So uh, we are now kind of working on the migrating from the privileged mode to to, to Linux parameters options. All right. So now, now we have almost everything set up. I'm going to continue with a detailed explanation on how we built a food or non-food image classifier in our project. So I'm going to talk about the machine learning from now. Well, all right. So uh, some of you may already know that uh, image classification in, in, in the area of deep learning is, it may be said to be uh, the solved problem, which means that regarding the result from the, the recent uh, academic uh, competitions, uh, the models can distinguish things better than human. So, it is true that we can build working classifier by just collect enough number of uh, labeled data sets. Uh, this time, food photos from Cookpad and no food photos. No food photos is a random food from the open data set. Yeah, may, may include some food photos, but it's, it's only a few. And then uh, and we can just perform a supervised learning using the, the labeled data set. The model could be one of those famous pre-trained models like Inception from Google or ResNet or VZZ, for example. Yeah, that sounds like working. But after we shaped out our first version of the classifier, we gradually got direct feedback from our users, which says that there is still notable number of non-food photos mistaken as food which means that, we, that the user has uh, the, the, the foodable plushies on the calendar. Yeah, we got this kind of feedback. And the, yeah, 
I'm going to be more, more detailed about the, the problem. The background of this problem is called uh, OpenSet problem, which means like uh, limitation of the domain of the dataset. Yeah. I have, I have much things to discuss about it, but I don't know. Don't, uh, won't, won't really go detail about it right now on the stage, so we can discuss about it later. And then, uh, let's say it's easy to construct a food data set. We can just collect the food photos. But for non-food, it's hard for us to, to, to construct the, the, the data set for all, every single thing other than foods, like cars, chairs, humans. And instead, we, it is the usual practice that uh, we, we uh, have only one level, level non-food, which is called opposite here. And then uh, the, the, the put random photos into the data set, non-food data set. And uh, let's say we have no photos of plushes in the data set, not specifically this photo, no, no, no plushes in the data set. The model could be to check here about this, uh, his answer. Uh, when, when, when the model uh, account, uh, uh, <laughs> the, the model gets the photos of plushes, the model could be shaky in, in his answer. So that is the background of a problem. And so what we did is by investigating the results from our local test set, hopefully we have the various things which is, looks like food. And we, uh, we rebuilt the data set uh, uh, we reviewed the data set according to the investigation. Uh, more specifically, we put the, the, the brushes as a one, you know, a separate level, for example. Yeah. The, the thing is not that simple, but <laughs> yeah. And we succeeded to increase the accuracy in our model. Yeah. 97.9% uh, .9 accurate. That's good. And all right. So I'm gonna I'm gonna move on to the next topic as um, uh, as I introduced myself before. As I, I'm an engineer in the research and development division, uh, I've been interested in making it possible for our uh, researchers, data scientists, uh, do their work easier and faster. Uh, now I'm going to talk about our talk about our infrastructure where we are doing uh, using the AWS GPU instances for various uh, experiences, experiments. Sorry. Uh, let me move on. The, uh, sorry. Uh, 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 uh. Yes. Okay. So we we are using the EC. Those uh, GPU accelerated instances like G23 or PT23 uh, for our exp experiments on the data sciences, not only in the production, of course. And uh, uh, we, we wanted those instances uh, on demand so that uh, our researchers conduct their experiments in parallel. Uh, multiple researchers can conduct the multiple uh, uh, experiments in parallel. That, that's, that's the spec. And uh, because of that, we make use of uh, Amazon machine images to, to realize repeated provisioning of those commonly used components like uh, GPU driver or CUDA toolkit or uh, uh, CU DNN, maybe. And uh, uh, we are also making, uh, making use of a chatbot on Slack 
uh, as an interface where anyone in, in, in the channel can create, start, stop instances using those AMIs. And one more thing here is uh, uh, using Packer by Hashcorp. Uh, we can automate the, the provisioning steps. Uh, as I said, installing the NVIDIA driver or CUDA toolkit uh, so that we can uh, up, update the AMI faster and stable ways. Yeah, like this. And of course, uh, there is, uh, there is a managed MI for deep learning. Yeah, some of you may already know that uh, the, the AWS, uh, AWS has a managed MI for, 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 the, for the latest version of CUDA, for example. So, which is actually not available, was not available at the time we started using GPUs, so we are now, you know on the way to, to, to migrating from our in-house AMIs to managed AMIs. Anyways. Oh, all right, that is so. <laughs> so uh, I'm gonna wrap up the session. Uh, we introduced a cooking log uh, using deep learning at scale, adopted asynchronous and isolated architecture with ECS. Yeah, and uh, we also make very great, great use of uh, AWS's GPU accelerated instances for our experiments. All right. So, <laughs> yeah, and we are hiring. Yeah, we have the two main offices in Japan and the, and the UK, Bristol. Yeah, if you're inter interested in our, you know, machine learning infrastructure, you know, you, you can contact us. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Hakuto Ichiro, for sharing the Cookpad use case. Thank you for attending the session. Uh, we can take a few questions. I think we still have a few more minutes. Uh, we're counting down to 10 seconds, but I think I can take two more, two more questions. Yeah. Yeah, so very good question. The question was, why did I choose, or why did Cookpad choose a container management platform and not a serverless platform? So I'll answer it from the more architecture perspective, and Kuto and Yuchiro can talk about why they chose it. So when you go to a serverless model, you have to live with good citizen's rules, which is uh, a number uh, of CPUs that you get, number of memory you get, but with containers, you get the horsepower you need. So if your prediction algorithm or the prediction inference API is very lightweight and it can live within those boundaries, absolutely. But if your inference algorithm does a lot of things, it's an app, it has caching, it has done things, and it needs that high throughput and latency, uh, like low latency, then you containers kind of give you that edge. Uh, we have a, a reference architecture even for serverless published. If you want to try that, yeah, I know, you've, you've seen that. So if you you can try that, but what we've seen from customers is a lot of machine learning inferences are running on containers. We've, we've also started seeing training running on containers, which is very early days right now, but a lot of training is still running on EC2s because uh, training on containers is still like hap, uh, happening and... Okay. Yeah, sure. So, 
because we are trying to do some fishing algorithm and trying to predict some fishing algorithm. So the hackers are involved trying to predict whether the size of fish or not or something. By the time we generated our models in the classification of the structural algorithm, by the time the models are generated in the staging environment, we are training the models to work. And when we put those models in production, we are too late in the game. Good question. So the question was really, how do you get from uh, lead, reduce the lag between training a model to deploying it? That's, in a sense, the question. So when you look at the architecture that uh, Cookpad showed and I walked you through, the whole idea is to build an efficient pipeline. And as, as the model is getting uploaded in S3, let's say tonight I ran an, a training algorithm and it got uploaded into S3, my code that is deployed is calling the MXNet API. Mm -hmm. MXNet is calling the S3 API, where I'm pulling the latest code from within the code. So I'm like saying MXNet.get, mm -hmm. and I'm always pulling the latest model. The model is not in the container. We are not caching the model. We are at runtime. I'm sitting in the same VPC. I'm not going outside the VPC. I have no internet connectivity no. If, I do, if I choose to. And I can always get the latest model if I choose to. Or I can cache it if I want it to run even faster. Mm -hmm. So that problem kind of becomes non-existent mm -hmm. if you have used the APIs correctly and you've built a really efficient deployment pipeline. No, the, the, the reason is why I especially mentioned is the classification is I have a tar predictors and I have targets. Right? Mm -hmm. That's the way the model you generate. But we work on some projects where we do a lot of things of predictive analytics on the hackers. Yeah. Hackers or some whatever we do in our agencies, okay? The problem is by the time we send the model to the, to the production, deployed to the production environment, the hacker or somebody already changed everything. So the algorithms are not working. So we're trying to figure it out how to solve that problem. So you train the model first time, right? Is there any way you can do dynamically train the model in the production itself? Especially that is the main problem. I was thinking deep learning can do something on that. Mm -hmm. And if you really look at a very sensitive projects, uh, like not civilian projects, some other projects which we work on, those projects have those problems. I'm trying to understand how really you can solve that type of problem. Not, that's why I said usually the classification algorithm, I'm talking about that. By the time you change something, the hacker already changes everything, and whatever we're trying to predict is not, it's not valid. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, uh, but uh, because yeah. training is done on the, not on the production data. So that's why there's a product called Apache Nifi. I don't know whether you know Apache Nifi or. It can stream the data into the engines and does the prediction on the, on the fly. Yeah. Uh, that is the what I'm trying to understand in the deep learning, how you guys are trying to do. But uh, that's fine. Okay, I can ask you later on. Yeah, we question. can take this offline, but yeah. to answer the question quickly, yeah. when you talk about lag, mm -hmm. what we're really talking about, the lag between data and deploying the model. That's what we're talking about. It really depends on how you're, how you're pulling the model. Are you caching the model in containers at runtime in production? Are you pulling it? Yeah, we'll take offline. Any other questions I can take? Okay. Uh, 
Do you want to take that question? Sorry? That Can you repeat your question? Images. Oh, thank you. The assignment of individual images to be classified by your model that is running inside of that, that cluster of GPU machines, is that assignment to an individual machine, is that handled by the SQS? Well, uh, you mean the images is, is, is a photos, right? Yes. Well, the, your question is, sorry, I, I didn't get it. <laughs> so I, I, if I can paraphrase. So when you, your images come on, like yep. from the phone, upload to SQS, yep. and you deploy it on, on the GPUs to train it, is that handle the SQS pulling and training also handled by the worker nodes? Yeah, that not, was not for training, but for the production classification. For the production cl classification. So I got a photo landing on, on S3. Yes. I have an SQS from where I pull the, pull the photo, mm -hmm. and then I try to predict it or run the inference API. Yes. Does your worker node do that, or do you have that separately? Uh, you mean the training on the inferences? The inferences, yes. Oh, yeah. Inferences, uh, the, the worker is just working like a, uh, the, the, the uh, con worker con continuously working as a process, and then the, the just pouring for, for, for the SKS for uh, the, the searching for the new message coming, and the, the classifier pull the image and the, the, the doing the inferences, also also reporting the results back to the API. The, all, all the things is do, doing in the one set of implementation of, of the worker. Okay, and how does it set to scale as demand ebbs and flows? The scale, Auto scaling groups. The scale rules. You mean? Yeah, so when when your you are uploading a lot of photos. Yes. So initially, let's say I upload 100 photos. So mm -hmm. that has a SQS queue depth and scaling. But supposedly, my app is used by 100,000 users. Mm -hmm. And now I'm getting a lot more photos. Yeah. How do you handle the scaling? How do you trigger it? And well, what does ECS do? Or how do you scale that containers? Oh, yeah. The scale trigger is basically the, the, the uh, there is one metrics on the SQS is uh, what, what is called the approximate max age of the message, and then we use that to to making sure that uh, uh, the we 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 won't get the message waiting uh, longer than the, the thresholds. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, last question: Have you considered Amazon Batch for this kind of workload? <laughs> uh, that's a good good question. So, if I can take that right, so Amazon Batch is a service which runs under, under uh, with ECS under the hood, right? It has a queuing mechanism and all of that. So the batch construct is a HPC construct, and you can use batch absolutely. But sometimes for batch jobs, you need lower level control. And I do know of customers who are trying to use batch, but as Cookpad, you Churo talked about, when they started the journey, probably AWS batch was not there. So they made the decisions. And running bad jobs on your own is absolutely fine, because you might have certain semantics and constructs that you would want to control. But with AWS Batch, you can totally run those, those, API, uh, those repeatable jobs if they fit your need. So I would go back to say, what am I running as a bad job? Look at it if that solves the problem from an abstraction perspective, and then make the decision. Does that make sense? Cool. Yeah. And the, the huge difference between the, the AWS and the uh, ECS and the batch is that uh, we need that application perform semi-real time. 
inferences. We, we, we need to make sure that the message is waited no longer than, than the thresholds. The batch is kind of, you know, the waiting for the, 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 the tons of the task and the, the perform the inferences in, uh, at, at, at scale. It's a bit, uh, there's a bit gap between the, yeah, architectures. Absolutely. Any other questions? We can take, we can take this and then go there. Oh. Of scope, um, but how do you manage um, intercontinental and intracontinental regulations if you're processing on the server side? Do you have any kind of pre-processing within a particular region before you even transfer the photo outside? Well, uh, you mean the you mean the the the, the, the variation between the uh, between the input from the, the yeah. Different so input? your source could potentially be from the U.S. Your, decent, your, your region could potentially be outside of the region. Uh, your cluster could be outside of the U.S. Do you mm -hmm. have any kind of pre-processing within a local region prior yeah. to actually? Well, actually, we have uh, uh, the, the, the two separate system for, 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 uh, for the image classification in Japan and, those, and the image classification outside of Japan. Yeah, we had only those two, uh, basically, the version of the model. And then uh, we, don't, we don't care so much about the, 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 the variation between the, 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 the countries or the continent about, about, about the, 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 uh, the, the kind of input we get. So, uh, yeah. yeah. Is that answer your yeah. question? Well, it's, it's more of a, well, let's just say that images that could be legal in the U.S. may not be legal in, say, oh, yeah. Europe. Yeah. So the question is whether or not you can stop those images prior to transfer to Europe. Well, yeah, that, that's a good question. It almost borders on the line of uh, data residency, data processing, local level uh, residency. I'd love to talk more to you offline about that. So absolutely. And I think there was one more question here. Uh, but. You mean, you mean the deployment pipeline? Deployment pipeline. Yeah, well, the, the whole development from code commit to... Uh, from code commit to, uh, you know, code build and, and deploy the whole process. Do you use any tools? Oh, yeah. You mean, you mean the deployment of a new version of the model, maybe? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We, we use the... Yeah, we, we of course use the CI. And the, the CI which does uh, the building of the Docker image. And also, we can have uh, the uh, we can make it usable run deck. We we can fire the the, the any kind of scripts uh, we we using for the development uh, deployment of a road docking. So we we just uh, searching for for our uh, jobs and create the deploy, and then we will get the new version of the model. Totally. Thank you so much for coming. We are like three minutes over time. So, but <laughs> thank you for coming. I will, uh, I'm really long time. Thank you.